This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 199 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Thinline Global. Reese Coppler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show with our producer, Glenn, who is back. I'm back. Yay! We've all been a little bit in and out every week, huh? Yeah. You never know who you're going to get. I know. I know. (laughs) We should mention, too, that next week starts our first, uh, once a month, we're going to have the para riders, para dressage riders come on and they're going to host the show once a week so that's going to start next week you two are going to have the week off, you're not going to know what to do with yourself, you'll be bored (laughs) Reese is going to be sitting around eating bonbons (laughs) that's what she does (laughs) that would be so fun I I think I'd like that for a day and then I probably no, but no, I'm back in Kentucky and we are full steam ahead here which is great Uh, I know everyone, uh, yeah what happened to the weather? Uh, it's supposed to be March, end of March. I think the groundhog was wrong, by the way. Puxatawney Phil, uh, I think right now half the Northeast would like to shoot him and eat him for dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would, I would stand in line. I think they're guarding Puxatawney pretty, oh, pretty closely. But on. oh, I don't know. <laughs> my poor, my poor horses. But uh, yeah, I now have a sympathy for everyone that's been up here all winter. It has been a long winter and a long spring, but hopefully April is coming. Come on. So my horses have been kind of crazy. I'm not going to lie. They're like, what are we doing? They're sick of it too. Everyone's sick of it. We got snow again today up here. I was just saying uh, last year, this day, it was like 19 or 20 degrees, which is I think around 75, 80 years. So it's a really different, like... I can't take it anymore. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> you should, I should go back to Florida. I am not into packing up and going back, though. So um, right. I will just, I will just, just deal it with it. Yeah, stick, stick it, it out. But, All right. Well, what kind of a show do we have today? Well, we have a great show. We're going to talk a little bit about um, some, I guess, dressage politics a little bit and what's going on a little bit with the U.S. team. But Gina Smith from Canada is going to come on and talk about uh, – there was just a big meeting, wasn't there, Philip? Big meeting in Wellington. They called it Dressage Summit, held by uh, Dressage Canada, and there was a little press uh, about it, but not not the substance of what happened. So Gina Smith, uh, a great writer from up in Canada, we had her on a previous show. Um, she was chef to keep for a little while. I, I think that she still is. We're going to ask her anyways, and we'll talk to her about Dressage Summit and what happened, and maybe there's some, uh, some good conclusions moving forward with uh, Dressage Canada. So looking forward to right. that. And Barbara Strassen, a friend of the show, is going to come on and do a trainer tip. So we've got a, a great show this week. Um, and Philip and I have – we're going to go back to our list that we did last week on um, – Carl Hester's tips for Carl riding. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's we'll, lots we'll of them. So we're going to keep going with that until we run out. <laughs> I know. Until we run out. We have another another couple another couple weeks on that. But a um, little bit on the on the U.S. side. Uh, applications for the U.S. technical advisor slash chef to keep to lead the U.S. team in the 2014 World Equestrian Games and the 2016 Olympic Games closed Friday. And a new coach is expected to be announced by April 1st. Um, the job description posted by USEF seeks one person 
for the combined position of manager slash chef to keep. According to the job description, that person should be a resident in the United States. Uh, this position was vacated by Ann Gribbins, and then Eva Solomon was the chef to keep in the office. Um, so right now, uh, the front runner is Robert Dover. Um, and so Robert has is a six-time Olympian from the U.S., has been involved in many aspects of the horse industry, including dressage coach for the U.S. eventing team and coach for the U.S. Canadian – for coach for the Canadian team. And he's yeah. considered the front runner. So um, we'll see. Stuff yeah. happening. Yeah. I mean, it would be maybe new direction for mm-hmm. for U.S. team. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen. But uh, – yeah. So we'll we'll keep everybody well by the next show. There should be at least a little bit more press on it. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more about it and see if we can and get the inside scoop. Great. Well, Reese, would right. you like to go back to our list, our Carl Hester's list, I guess, and uh, and continue on with these tips? I think they're really helpful for uh, for me. It's a, gave, so. gave me something to think about. You know. Yeah, I think so. Pass, so. Absolutely. So we did one through ten last week, and so we're gonna do eleven through twenty this week. So number eleven. Create a workstation on your yard or farm where everything to do with, with work happens. For example, tacking up and washing off and keep a stable for relaxation only. Then your horse knows when he's totally relaxed and when he's in the stall and when he's expected to work. Um, we, we have this at my barn. Philip, do you have that at your barn? I mean, yeah, I have crossed eyes, right? I mean, right. I think with, with many indoor barns, that's that you're always going to have a an area, right? I think it's just tough yes. in the outdoor yards to uh, sometimes you have to create an area. So we see this in England quite a bit, but uh, not no, not normally in a North American issue. So what are we on? Number 12? Number 12. If, you, if your horse is too sensitive to the leg, work on lots of downwards transitions. I like it. I think, I think that's, that's right. Yeah, pretty much a yeah. no-brainer, but uh, um, a helpful tip can, anyways. You know, yeah, you don't I want them running say... and going fast all the time, so... Right. And I can say upward transitions too. I think horses that are sensitive to the leg need to have the leg put on them. Um, and I think that's, that's a, that's feel a it and be that. comfortable and not want yep. to run away all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Number 13, lots of transitions between canter and trot will help to improve the trot by getting him to carry more weight on his back end. Absolutely. That's a good one. And when you think about it, you know, the canter is, is the gate, just the way that the mechanics of it work. Um, that they have to sit on, you know, because they kind of rock a little bit back and forth. They have to sit on their on their hind leg a little bit. So, you know, you got to use the different gates to improve. You can use the canter to improve the trot and sometimes the walk to improve the canter, you know, like you just mix them all up. Like, you know, if you feel that it's not right and uh, and you're working away, working away, change the gate up. Do something a little bit different that way and you might come back to the trot and feel... And feel that it uh, it improved it, but you know, just this is another one on just transitions, transitions, transitions. Number fourteen: to maintain balance while you're working your horse, use lots of half halts. Think about using one before you ask your horse to do anything. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we can we could do a whole week show on yeah. on just that statement. Um, half halts. There's lots of different places. Yeah. To half halts. There's a little bit different ways to make half halts depending on what you're working on, but. Yeah, the half halt's kind of like a mini transition. So again, another one about transitions and and rebalancing the horse all the time. I love it. You know, I just made a note because I think we should do a whole show on half halts. And we'll get a couple trainers on to, to describe half halts and what they mean because we all hear half halt, half halt, half halt. 
you know, what does that mean? So we'll, we'll come back. I made a note, everybody. We'll revisit that um, on another show. But number 15, give your horse sugar during training sessions as a reward and to help him mouth the bit which will encourage, encourage him to salivate and make him lighter in the hand. You know, I normally give sugar when I'm bidding the horse, you know, but it doesn't hurt mm-hmm. to have to have a cube in your pocket or, or something. We use sugar and mint sometimes. So, um, yeah, I think that's Yeah, good. and I use, I use sugar too sometimes when I have a horse that's a little bit funny to get on. I think uh, yeah. actually I oh, learned yeah, that. Oh, yeah, big time, yeah. To make you know, them wait and just, yep. uh, it's a training make, tool, right? Yep, make them wait and then you, you have to make sure that you have a sugar in your hand. But um, mm-hmm. I don't always, once, once they sort of get better at it. So I guess I kind of, I do do this a little bit when, when getting on. So if I need to get them to stand still. Number 16, riding your horse on and back involves asking him for a few lengthened strides before asking him to come back to his working pace, then repeating it several times. This is why will help you to get him to carry his head and neck and achieve self-carriage. This yeah, is about, I, yeah, and transitions within the gate, right? We talk about right, transitions, transitions, walk, trot, canter. We talk about half halts. And then this is, again, going back to transitions to, you know, small gate, big gate, little lengthening. You know, even even the young horses, even though we don't ask them to extend or, or really collect, you're doing tons of a little forward, a little back, playing with the gate, keeping the horse interested. Um, we do this all the time. It's really yeah. helpful. Yeah, very helpful. Okay, number 17. When doing tempi changes, a series of flying change, with more advanced horses, we ride along the wall of the arena to help keep the horse straight. This, this is, is how we got into back. <laughs> you know, from a basic thing to this is a more complex thing, but right. uh, it's very important when you're doing flying changes, you know, dressage wise, to do them on a, you know, to be able to do them on a very straight line that keeps the horse jumping through not losing balance side to side as you're going, you know, back and forth. But even that one change, you know, I think before I even start tempi changes, I, I make sure that I'm able to do a flying change down the down the long side and use, use the wall a little bit. Uh, you know, straightness is so important in the changes. Agreed. No, I think, you know, you need, I, I do them on the wall. I do them on the circle. Uh, so, you know, so many of us see on the test where you go on the diagonal and you ride five fours, you ride five threes. But you need to be able to do them in different places. Um, yeah, all over the arena. The test the all over. And, yep. and you ask different questions. So, yeah, I mean, if you're practicing away the third level test, and, you know, I think the change is always, almost always on the diagonal. But when you're training, train it in different places, right? Yep. That, uh, that stops the horse from anticipating the change a little bit and can make the whole th- idea more relaxed. Number 18. With a horse who is trained to do collected canter, you want to aim for a speed where someone can walk alongside you. Huh. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> Carl's so my hero. It depends. Yeah, it depends on who's walking, right? And how walk. fast they're walking. <laughs> well, on, on a Grand Prix horse, you should be able to do that. Um, but well, that wet. Yeah. takes a... I think that... I mean, I've never tried it, but I think that's a, a new goal for uh, my Denali that someday he can canter with someone walking next to him, not running at full speed ahead. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting. I've never thought about it that way, but I like the, the idea. It's, I think a, the it's, visuals. A, it's an interesting idea. I think, you know, it's um, got to be a pretty trained get horse. The horse a little bit backwards if you do this too much. But, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I that's always gotta think be a trained when horse, doing, doing collected canter that you want to, you know, before you, when you make collected canter to walk you want to be covering just as much ground in the canter as you would in the walk and then you can have a nice transition 
I think that's yeah. how I that's how I really approach the the collected canter and getting that idea that maybe not someone, but at least another horse could walk alongside you and cover the same amount of ground. Right, right. No, I like it. So number 19, use leg yields in the canter to make your horse move more aware of your legs. I, I do this myself. I, I, I actually try, uh, went to a wonderful clinic in Louisville and taught this weekend. And I use this a couple of times on a couple of different horses um, to get them yep. a little more off the inside leg. Uh, but also um, a couple of them were crooked. So it's a good exercise for that. So it's a good yeah. exercise. I see that a lot as uh, horses that like to carry in the, you know, kind of only in the canter that their hind leg a little bit in, in front of their fore leg, like a little in trav air instead of shoulder in, right? So you start with a little leg yield, just like in trot. You start with a little leg yield to teach the horse shoulder in, so eventually the horse will be able to shoulder in in, uh, in canter properly with the hind leg underneath and pushing the wither up and all that wonderful stuff. So I use that uh, on straight lines, but also on the circles to be able to actually leg yield into the circle and canter a little bit. That helps the horse not lean so much, um, you know, on the smaller circles and, and get, get the balance better. So lots of leg yield and canter. It's perfect. Uh, where are we at here? Number 20. Mm-hmm. To help you maintain the rhythm while riding, keep a song in your head and sing it to yourself while you ride. That's a good idea. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, and I, 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 in my indoor, you know, now I, I put up a sound system, and I tell you, I really like it. I find myself uh, keeps me a little bit more engaged. And by horse number five, when I'm in there by myself, I like it, and, and I yeah, like the music. Great. So yeah, I think the there's a lot on, to it. get the music a going a little yeah. bit. And it helps everybody stay a little bit more relaxed. But uh, and the sports psychologists say that you should have your own song. So when you when the stress comes on uh, about showtime and you're you're getting tacked up and you're you're riding your warm up. Everybody should have their own song. That's their go-to place, and they should sing it to themselves when they're super stressed out, especially on show day. Uh, Reese, what's your song? Yeah. So, what would you pick Ooh. as your song? What would I pick as my song? It's interesting that he said that because it should be one that you can get a rhythm to. Uh, it's it's not only anti-stress, but it also helps get you get in the rhythm. Literally, I'm pick, I'm going to pick "Staying Alive." Yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Actually, I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm that's kinda, a good one I'm because it does have a good it. rhythm, a good beat it's to it. It's got an excellent rhythm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it has a good message too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah, exactly. It's more of an adventure that. song, though. I would think yeah. staying alive. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, I'm gonna have to think. Or on a bull the song. rider song. Maybe a bull <laughs> rider song. Yeah. <laughs> Can they, do they have sports psychologists? <laughs> I like it. Well, everybody. It's a Michelob. Well, I know everyone is waiting for for two weeks. We'll come back to our list, um, but I think this these are great uh, tips from Carl Hester, and obviously it works for them and their team uh, from the Olympic Games. And, and just I think Carl's they do been around. Good over there, huh? you know yeah, I, mean? I think they're all, they're pretty good. Yeah, so doing <laughs> excellent. So well, great tips. Well, before our first guest, guys, we have part three in our Thin Line Global Leg Protection Series. We're, we're finishing up the discussion on boots and which ones are used for what and which ones are best for what. But I wanted to also say that they have now offered a coupon for the listeners of the Horse Radio Network. When you're checking out at thinlineglobal.com, you can buy anything, their pads, their boots, any product on the, on the website. Just put in the code RADIO at checkout, and you'll get 12% off your order. So that's 12% off your order at uh, Thin Line Global, and just put in the coupon code RADIO. But let's take a listen to part three. This is Coach Jen from the Horse Tip Daily Show with Elaine from Thin Line Global. This is Coach Jen, host of the Horse Tip Daily Show here on the Horse Radio Network. 
Thanks for joining us for this third in a four-part series on leg protection for your horse, produced in cooperation with Thinline Global. In this series, with the expert help of Elaine Lockhead, we will cover all aspects of leg protection. I am joined once again by Elaine Lockhead from Thin Line Global. Good afternoon, Elaine. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we've been having a great time in this series of segments about leg protection for horses. We talked about who needs it and why. And then we talked a little bit about the different types of boots available and their functions. But that list was so extensive, we are now on part two of leg types of leg protection and their function. So this is segment number three. Folks, if you have not yet listened to number one and two, I would strongly encourage you to do so because it was fascinating. So what other types of leg protection um, does the modern equestrian have available, and what are they going to do for us? Well, let's start with um, let's start with the simple ones. Let's talk about ankle, uh, otherwise known as fetlock boots. I was going to say horses don't have ankles, right? Wait a minute, I'm confused already, Elaine. You said this was going to be easy, <laughs> right? But it's the closest thing to an ankle that they have is a fetlock. But most people actually use the word ankle boot um, in the United States. In Europe, they use fetlock, so it's it's kind of a uh, a USA thing. But ankle or fetlock boots are designed for the hind leg of the horse and just to design to protect the part of the leg that begins just above the hoof. So you've got that little bone there, and that's where the horses tend to hit if they travel a little close behind or if they step sideways a little bit. So the ankle boot is designed just for impact protection. It only has product on the inside of the leg, so it's not designed to protect anything except the horse hitting itself. Um, materials is made out of generally are hard plastics or hard rubbers and then lined with something like neoprene gel, um, sheepskin, or thin line. Uh, the next category of boots would be knee boots. You rarely see this boot, mostly because knee boots are very hard on a horse. If anybody's ever tried to bandage a knee, they'll know what I'm talking about. And when you have a horse that's moving to, to try to keep a, a boot on that part of the horse's that's, leg. Yeah, that's a really mobile part of a horse, isn't it? <laughs> it's a very mobile part of the horse. The only people who really use them are barrel racers and reiners. Um, and they use them for, you know, when they're really doing serious spinning or, um, you know, getting around an object. So, you don't see those boots very often. I have seen those. You're right. The, I've seen pictures of uh, reining horses uh, wearing those in their warm-ups, but I, it never occurred to me that it, they would hit their knees because when they spin, they they really do it with a lot of enthusiasm. I know. Don't you love that? Love yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. The next category would be um, skid boots, and these are used by reiners. They're used on the hind legs of the horse, and everybody knows the sliding stop. We love to watch the horses do that. And the horses just get down really far where their butts are almost sitting on the ground. And as they're sliding, what's tagging the ground on their back leg? It's the back of the fetlock joint. And these boots really take a pounding. So it's really important that you have a good skid boot if you're going to be taking your horse through sliding stops. And one of the funny things that happened to us is people will come back to us and they'll say, 
my skid boot is just completely torn up. And I said, well, how's your horse's leg? Well, it's great. But fabulous. That's- <laughs> you, know? you really do need to have that boot. I'm so happy it worked for you. Yeah. Can you imagine what his leg would look like if you hadn't put that boot on? Exactly. And one of the great things about Thinline is actually is durability. In our saddle pads, people joke around that you can park your truck on our pad and still use it the next day and it's perfectly fine. <laughs> Don't, we're not recommending that. No, we're not yeah, recommending no. it. No. But, yeah, it's it's great for our customers. Maybe not so great for Thinline because the boots and the all our products tend to last so long. But let's quickly get to the sports medicine boot. That's a big category right there. Oh, it's a huge category, and it's one of the most exciting products for us. And the reason is, <clears throat> excuse me, this boot was designed about 20 years ago by Professionals Choice. And what this, this boot radically changed the boot world. What they designed was a boot that wraps around the horse's leg and then Velcro's closed. The way that the wrap works is the wrap actually goes underneath the fetlock joint and then Velcro's to itself. So it supports the bottom of the fetlock, supports all those digital flexor tendons and all the major tendons in the lower in the lower leg. And then it comes up the horse's leg and supports all the suspensory ligaments and basically supports everything on a horse's leg. In addition to that, it gives you impact protection 360 degrees around the leg. The best boot ever designed, hands down. Now, in the last decade or so, um, pretty much... Hundreds of manufacturers have been redesigning this boot because the original boot was made with very thick neoprene inside. So that had some issues with it because the neoprene does some things we don't want a boot to do. It overheats the horse's leg because neoprene is, of course, made for things like scuba suits. And, you know, it keeps bodies warm. We don't want to overheat our tendons. That's when we get injuries in horses. So neoprene had historically been the only thing used in these boots. And some people have tried to put gels in it and different other materials. But the things that happen to the horse's leg then, in addition to overheating, is you have weight problems. The boots tend to shift and move around and they become too heavy and then the horses can't move with great confidence. And these horses, we want our horses to be athletes, so we want don't want to hinder them and have them feel as though they're running with a weight on their leg. Um, additionally, many products will actually grow fungus in them and grow bacteria in them, which is very hard to get rid of even if you wash it. So that's not good for the horse's skin. And again, cleanliness, most of the products, like neoprene, tend to get dirt. The arena dirt can actually get into the neoprene because the cells are so large. So for us, this is one of the most exciting boots that we've done because we were able to line the sports medicine boot. We call this boot for in our product line the Cobra boot. It kind of twists around the horse's leg. So we line it with a very thin, thin line that is more protective for impact than triple-layer neoprene. It ventilates so it does not get keep the horses hot. And the nice thing about Thinline is it ventilates 
laterally. So you have to have some neoprene on the outside in order to stick the Velcro. So you have to have a product on the inside that will ventilate along itself so that it comes out the top of the boot and the bottom of the boot. And that's how the heat comes out of out of the Cobra boot. Oh. And one of my persons is that I hate to see these lovely little quarter horses and Arabians and all these fine-boned horses with this great big fat boot on their leg. <laughs> That's the Popeye effect. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So with the thin line in the boot, it's so supple. It just totally molds to the horse's leg. And it's so thin that, you know, when you put on a thin line um, sports medicine boot, it looks like it belongs there. It just looks very trim and it looks very clean. And speaking of cleaning, no dirt gets in it. Oh, because, that's always nice. Yeah, because of the thin line is so dense and dense. Well, it doesn't have the open big cells like the neoprene does, so no dirt can stick to it. So once again, oh. all you have to do is hose them off, or if you want to, you can throw them in the washing machine. Yeah. And nothing grows in it, so that's a wonderful thing. So our horse's skin can stay healthy. But this boot, I think we're more excited about, or at least me personally, I'm just very excited about this boot um, because everybody across disciplines uses it. This is a boot for function and not for fashion. So while, while in the hunter-jumper world, people would never go in the ring with a boot like this because there are sort of fashion sessions, and you know, mm-hmm. you'll find it now on people who are schooling the hunters. You'll find it, people, in the dressage arena. You find it on the driving horses. You find it on the event horses and the Western pleasure horses and the reining horses. There's not a horse I can't find this boot on. It's Hmm. just an amazing product. So help me out here because we've covered a lot of boots in in these past two segments, number two and number three now. Um, In a brushing and or galloping boot, which is the same name, two different names for the same boot, it covers, quote, the horse's whole leg. Visually, somebody who's really not familiar with uh, horse boots, how does a brushing or galloping boot look different, if he's looking at it on the shelf, from a sports medicine type of boot, in this case a cobra boot? What looks different about it to somebody just seeing it sitting there on the tack room, tack shop shelf? A sports medicine boot is going to look like it's a neoprene boot with long Velcro closures that wrap around the horse's leg. So it's more of a wrapping boot that goes back to the leg wrap kind of (gasps) Ah, okay. So when you look at it, you're going to look at this and go, oh, yes, this is going to function like an old-fashioned leg wrap without the the driver error part. Correct. The sport boot and the brushing boot typically are made look like leather they may not be made of leather like the finland boot is not it looks just like leather and it wraps around the horse's leg and then it has a small velcro closure so the velcro doesn't go all the way around on the inside of a of a brushing boot or a splint boot there will be a hard piece of rubber on the inside of the leg to protect from blunt trauma (gasps) aha yes the strike plate that's a big difference yes the strike plate right so the cobra boot does not have a strike plate on it the open front jumping boot basically it has something hard in the 
back where the horses are most likely to hit themselves. So brushing, galloping, sport boots are going to have some type of strike plate on it. That's a good way for folks out there wandering through the boot section at the tack shop, um, trying to, because I don't know about you, but when I go to the tack shop, I just like to pick up everything and play with it. The people, the clerks hate me. Um, (laughs) A good way to tell what you're looking at if you're really not familiar with them is the uh, sports medicine boot designed for supporting your horse's tenons and ligaments is not going to have a strike plate. That's the hard plastic or padded um, part on the inside edge. Whereas a brushing galloping boot will have that hard piece of strike plate in there. That's a good. That's a really good pointer. I like that, and I really love Very the simple. fact that you they're making the the sports medicine support type of boot a little bit lower profile because it 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 was a little bit clunky for some horses if if the horse moved close if it was fine boned or small. Um, we used it was that restrictive type of as well. Yeah, you have something that large, and just imagine what that boot is like when you go through water or you're working in a wet arena. Right now, does the thin line Cobra boot have a similar "I don't absorb water" factor that the other thin line products do? Absolutely, handy dandy. There we go. Handy dandy. Yeah. Well, tell our listeners out there where they can find out more about thin line uh, online so they can learn more about boots and more about thin line technology if you go to thinlineglobal.com and check out our technology pages you will find pretty much everything you need to know there or you can email us off of that website or call us because we're always here to talk to our fellow horse people and answer any questions we can you guys have a great help department. Thank you again, once again, Elaine. And we have one more, one more installment coming up, folks, so stay tuned. Thank you once again to Elaine Lockhead for sharing your expertise. And thank you to Thin Line Global for helping us put this series together. When you stop by the Thin Line Global website at thinlineglobal.com, be sure to take advantage of the special 12% discount on your order by typing RADIO into the promo code at checkout. Stay tuned for part four of the series, where we'll cover fitting issues, care of your boots, and troubleshooting troubles. Well, that was a great segment from Thin Line. Next up, we have Gina Smith, Canada's chef to keep. She's going to talk to us about uh, Dressage Canada's uh, summit that they held in Wellington recently. And they talked about a lot of strategy and uh, how Canada can be successful in the next Olympic Games. How did this all? How did this dressage Canada, dressage Canada summit come about? Well, it came about because we are wanting to develop a new strategic plan for dressage going forward, and our funding from Own the Podium was cut drastically. In fact, down to nothing. So, what they Own the Podium suggested that we do is use up some of the remaining funding from this quad to get together all our stakeholders and hold a summit and to have a strategic planning session going forward. Um, stakeholders included riders, coaches, owners, grooms, the support staff, which with vet, uh, chef, chef to keep, uh, team manager, and members from the Dressage Canada board were all um, invited to come down. And mostly the um, stakeholders were in the high performance group of, of riders, coaches, and owners. So it was uh, a great group. We had just over 50 people attending. For two days in uh, in Florida, we decided to have it in Florida because that's where most of the stakeholders are based at this time of the year. And we had a, a golf club facility that was um, given to us through one of our um, 
board members, Michael Horgan. It was great to have that golf club, and it was catered, and it was a very good two days of discussion. So, Gina, as an American, what is Own the Podium? Own the Podium? (laughs) Sorry. Own the Podium is a group of, um, uh, it's like a, a, a funding mechanism that's for all the sports in Canada for the Olympic and Pan American um, Games. So what they're looking to do is to fund these sports, um, especially the ones that are going to look like they're going to, to medal at the at the Games. And from year to year, you have to make a presentation to them. And if you're looking like you're, you know, having medals or, or getting towards uh, medals and have a great strategic plan, then they help you fund your programs. Um, if you're not doing well and they see that um, you're you're not close to the podium, then they cut back on your funding. So it's basically that they want to have um, the best they can possibly be in Canada and get more more medals through encouraging better programs and, um, and especially through the, from the grassroots up. And they're, you know, very big on how the support staff works and how the technical leadership works, how the um, surrounding around the athletes and the teams, how that all works. And it's um, been very interesting um, to see how it all comes together. And I think that um, they really have given me some more insight on how to really get, you know, athletes, not just individuals, but teams really into into medal positions a lot better than, than what we have right now. Oh, excellent. I mean, us from Canada, we, we know about Own the Podium. I think every it's discussed a lot in our media and stuff. But for those in America and other countries, I think they have similar programs. Um, mm-hmm. Ours is just called Own the Podium as, as a goal, right? Yeah, so, and it's different can, than the Canadian Olympic Committee or Sport Canada, which are also other uh, funding bases that we have in Canada. Um, it's separate separate from that. It's nothing to do with the um, the government funding. So can you let us into a little bit what was the discussions during the summit, you know, and what came what came out of it? Yes, we had a um, facilitator. It was Peter Davis that was um, helping us with this. And we came up with seven uh, discussion points. Um, one was uh, youth talent ID and building teams for long-term success. Then another point was tours, competitions, and international credibility. Then we had resource acquisition and sustainability, which was basically um, acquisition of horses and maintenance, um, other resources needed, and how to acquire them. Um, Our fourth point was athlete management. That would include training plans, um, observation and assessment of the athletes, evaluations, performance metrics, um, integrated team support, and and, um, training environment. We had uh, as a fifth point of discussion was high performance targets and evaluations. Then we had a, a sixth point called building relationships. And the seventh was leadership. Um, we left leadership for um, one large discussion with all the uh, stakeholders. And what we did on the first day was have um, the facilitator who went around the room and gave everybody a number from one to six. We broke into groups, uh, six groups, and each group um, discussed these uh, different uh, points. And then they each gave a presentation on what they had discussed and what they came up with. So they had maybe within each group there was, oh, I would say between six and ten, sometimes more points that they thought were very um, important that um, uh, Dressage Canada go forward with. 
so once all of these uh, six discussion points were put up around the wall and around the room on walls with huge big you know papers that were making all sorts of scribbles and everything, we were all given the chance to vote on which points from each group that we thought would be the most valuable. So what the facilitator could do would, um, after, at the end, he would be able to, you know, tally up all the votes and say, okay, here's what all your stakeholders feel, one, two, three, which are the most important things that you should consider when putting a strategy together uh, for Canada. So all the stakeholders had a, a big part in it. Um, we had um, several key speakers we had Desi Dillingham, who had developed a world-class program in the United Kingdom, which was uh, wonderful. She's a great inspirational speaker and, and showed us and told us how she did um, the program that was so successful over the long term in the UK. Of course, they, they came up with medals at the, the Games. It was wonderful to hear her speak. We had Julie Healy, who was our uh, representative from the Canadian Olympic Committee. She represents several sports, but um, also equestrian. She does some winter sports as well as summer sports. And it was really good to listen to her and what the COC has as far as guidelines for us. I think one of the biggest points that came out of that was how the accreditation works. And accreditations at the Olympic Games are always a difficulty for our, our, any of our equestrian teams. You know, we have so many support staff involved as well as the riders and the grooms and the owners and getting accreditation and, you know, tickets to the competition is, is always a difficult thing. And I, it was great that the owners and riders and coaches and everybody could really understand how Canada or any of the um, Olympic countries um, are really, you know, they have to be very um, careful about how many accreditations they give out. It's such a security issue. That was um, great to have. Then we had the 1988 Olympic uh, dressage bronze medal team from Seoul, Korea. That was myself. Of which you were part of, right? Yeah, yes. Cynthia <laughs> Choi, Ashley Holzer, and Eva Maria Proct. We all spoke. We had a video that we played that was um, put together in 1988 uh, from the trials for the Games, as well as um, a wonderful clip from Dynasty, Cindy's great horse back then, and at the Games itself, and, and receiving the medal. And then there was questions to us about, you know, how did we do it? How did we, how did the pathway to that Olympic medal go? So I think that was some good input to um, the stakeholders at the meeting. And then we had Michael Horgan um, speak about fundraising initiatives that he is putting together with, um, he's on, he's a chair of the fundraising committee on the Dressage Canada board. So um, that was very helpful because obviously with all these plans going forward, do we need money to be able to do it? We need funding, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a exactly. bit of the catch-22 about On the Podium. I mean, mm-hmm. you need to yeah. be successful, then you get funding, but if you're not, where, where does the money come from? Right, right. exactly. So, it was um, a really great first day, and the second day, um, our seventh point was leadership, talking about um, what kind of leadership, um, technical leadership like we've had before. Um, just how we're going to go about having somebody spearhead this. And so what we did was, again, we all had a number, uh, I think one to five. We went into several groups and all spoke about the same thing. And it was interesting to see because basically at the end of the day, everybody was pretty much on the same page as how we want to develop um, in, in the leadership role, how we want that to work. 
And so now what happens is the um, facilitator that um, uh, looked after um, all the voting and looked at all the outcomes of what uh, everybody put together, he has uh, probably by the end of this week, um, hopefully, um, we'll have a complete summary report for us that we can start then to build on for our strategy going forward. And we have a, a basic skeleton of a strategy that we'd like to have. He knows that. He's seen that. And through the um, discussion that we had for those two days, he will really give us you know, the best pointers as far as what he thinks will work for us the best. And then it's our responsibility now, as soon as possible, really, to put something together and to um, get going forward with it. So, Gina, you know, you mentioned that um, your team went up and, and talked about how you won a medal. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Well, everybody had a little bit different take on it, but we all really did our time um, in Europe training for the long term. Cindy had been um, in Europe years before with um, several different horses. I spent um, from 1981 till the 88 and beyond in Europe um, training and riding. I think we all really did our, our homework with the horses that we had. Ashley was certainly in Europe as well, and even Maria Proct came from there. So it, we were all very well known and very well respected. We had, um, a, I think w- what came out of that also is that every team has a, a superstar. And Dynasty at that point was our superstar. Ashley had Ripo, which was a uh, she she was very well known and it was a it was a dark horse actually it was a great horse came out and just blew everybody's socks off which was wonderful for the team and myself and Evie Proct had horses that were just really solid team horses that you could count on that every time you went down the center line it just delivered a, a, a super top you know team solid test and that's that's what we needed we had um, fitness training beforehand we had media training beforehand we were very well prepared if anything happened and little things did go wrong that we were quite easily ready to just okay that's fine I can just carry on here's my plan B and um, each and every one of us worked so well together and we had a wonderful veterinarian we had a chef to keep that fought to get us over into Korea as early as possible so that we could adjust to the time change it was 18 hour time change and that that all worked extremely well. And Gina, what do you think about the what are the ideas to to get to get the funding going forward? How do we do that? Well, we have a, a fundraising committee that is being populated. We have several you know smaller fundraising initiatives that we're we're looking into. I think thinking of we, we we're thinking we were going to get some on the podium money so we don't have that so we really have to start thinking that on the podium is going to be a bonus to what we can raise right. and we do have some very promising um, people on the fundraising committee that are, are looking at you know finding bigger sponsors and it's it's not an easy task i must no, say no it's very difficult that's why very i was difficult. very interested we, you know about the ideas also, that are coming forward with this because yeah we've also spoken about having um a fundraiser that actually is a professional and they receive you know a certain percent of what they raise right so um that's that's been kicked around i think uh you know galas and it has to be something that's again a long term uh, fundraising yeah. mechanism that it's not just 
okay, we're going to try to get to, you know, the next show this summer or to the world championship. It has to be a long-term sustainable um, fundraising mechanism that we can say it's an annual affair. Um, what they did in in um, the UK a lot was parties. They just kept inviting people to the parties, made sure the athletes were there, talked to the people, get them really excited about, you know, supporting the team um, type of situation. Right. We have we have some great supporters, and just to be able to figure out how we can can get this into a dressage Canada um, fundraising initiative that is something that's also very well managed. Um, it has to be very businesslike for people to put their money into it. They want to see what our goals mm-hmm. are. They want to know how it's going to be spent. Um, it has to be fair across the board. It can't just be just, you know, only these riders are going to get it. It's got to be maybe p- programs they want, you know, for for young riders coming through. There's there's all sorts of different ways you can look at it, but it has to be really accountable and really um, transparent as to how the money is spent and where it's going to go. Oh, yes. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, Gina, for coming on the show. And this has been an interesting talk. And hopefully we can uh, we can get you back as things develop and, and we have a plan going forward. Yeah, thank you. I hope and so how too. And how can people contact you or find you on the internet because you run a, a wonderful training and sales business uh, up there in your Kingston? We have a website at uh, franklinesfarm.com. And I'm also on Facebook. So through that, um, certainly email me and um, come and visit sometime. Anybody can come and visit and uh, speak to me and make, you know, if you want some lessons, got, got, got room for lessons. <laughs> great, great. Fantastic. Great. Thank you so much, Thank Gina. Get that warm-up pattern. <laughs> yes, yes, get that warm-up pattern going. Exactly. <laughs> so, guys, what I heard out of that whole thing was, you, Philip, you're going to party your way to the Olympics. That's what I heard. <laughs> yes. yes, I think that's the way to do it. If 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 the uh, English you know could do it, I think we could too. You know, didn't you think fun. of that when she said that? I was like, yes. <laughs> no wonder why they're so good at their jobs. You have to drink a lot to raise enough money to yeah, go to the Olympics. That's a lot of money to. Uh, I like to raise it. off of off of parties. I guess but that's a lot of alcohol. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> It's Sounds cold like fun, up though. there. You guys have nothing better to do but party. Yeah. So, That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, guys, for this week's trainer's tip, we have Barbara Strassen. She's an FEI trainer and competitor from the Maryland area. Barbara, welcome to the show. Thanks for your coming on this evening. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I am looking forward to your week's trainer's tip. And when we were discussing the tip, I love this idea of of using positive tension. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about our discussion? Yes. Um, positive tension, what was interesting, I learned much more about it when I started training in Germany and, and realized how important it is um, for riding. And I'll just start describing what it is. Uh, it's the amount of tension that you need in your muscles to maintain your posture and, and positively influence the horse with your seat. So with positive tension, your muscles are, are firm. They're not overly tight or, or tense, but they're not too loose or floppy either. But it's like a certain amount of tension that just allows, um, allows your joints to move. And uh, something just as a rider and trainer... I have worked on because I tend to be very loose 
almost too, too loose. So, um, so this was something that was a was a dear to my heart, <laughs> and my students have really appreciated learning about it. Um, let's see, with like if the rider has negative tension, uh, that their muscles are overly tight or stiff or, or rigid, and and why you don't want too much tension or when it becomes negative is when it it blocks feeling. So tight muscles cannot feel. So they have to be firm in a positive way, a way, not in a negative way. And um, and actually, tension or a negative tension can be a result of, of physical tightness, uh, whether if you've had an injury or just stiff, tight muscles or something like that. But it also can come from a mental tightness, too, which... which uh, affects your body, I, and um, you know, and then we have the other side of the no tension. Your body is just too loose; it can't maintain its posture, and it can influence um, or send positive energy to the horse. So, I'm just thinking in terms of when when you would really use positive tension. Uh, well, first of all, you have to have always have a certain amount of positive tension. I mean, we have that on a day-to-day basis just by, you know, to keep ourselves standing and and keep ourselves upright. So you're using it all the time to a certain extent, especially on a horse, to keep yourself up there. Uh, But, like, there's certain times you might increase the positive tension during a ride. And so, for example, that might be, let's see, like when you're making a half halt to prepare for a transition or making a transition, uh, or like if you want to sit deeper and support the horse and asking for more movement. So like if you, you know, you really, you've probably heard people who say use your core or really sit. And to do that, you actually need a certain amount of positive tension. Again, it can't be so tight that you block your joints because the loose joints is what allows you to be have harmony and, and follow the horse. So let's um, think of an, another time you might... Um, use positive tension. I mean, actually, like when you give your impulse with your seat for a canter to part or like when you're doing flying changes would be another time where you might just feel like an increase in positive tension in your body. So um, those are the, the, the things I can think of at the top of my head. Um, now, I have oh, a great. good... Now, I have can, a, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask... Sorry, go right ahead. <laughs> when we're watching a horse and a rider, what are some signs that maybe, maybe they've got too much tension, you know, even if just a little bit too much tension creeps in, what, what, what do you think? What does it look like? What happens? What do riders feel? Well, like you would see, like if you see a horse that maybe isn't moving well, like he, he starts to get like choppier in his gait, um, you know, or even stopping, um, like you can really see that the you know the rider's like blocking that motion, and like if the if the rider's really tight, or hit, like for example, you really need looseness in your hips, like to follow the horse, especially like in a gate like the canter where you really really need that swing. So if you you can really see like if the rider stops that movement or they're really tight or tighten their seat, you know the horse will stop or get choppy or you know even start to misbehave or something like that. Um, does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so um, uh, if I can think of another example off the top of my head, I'll let you know. Well, but um, and, and Barbara, do you need, you know, we, we do talk about on the on the show um, kind of, you know, the, the need for, you know, being able to have some 
control of your muscles. So physical mm-hmm. activity, that kind of stuff. So would you, to help with this positive tension, do you suggest, you know, any workout or anything that can sort of help your body gain that ability? Oh yeah, there's lots of things. And I've done a, a lot of different programs. Um, when I, I, how I first started, like when I was in Germany and my, I worked with Nicole Opoff in Germany and she came to the gym with me. And the way we started was like, he actually had, had me do the Stairmaster just so that I could just get the feeling of, um, of, you know, engaging those core muscles. That was a really big help. Some exercises like that. And they had me also do a step class, which was really interesting because you really had to be really coordinated, but you also had to have that that firmness in your muscles to be able to not only have the coordination, but, you know, the strength to do the movements that they were asking. So those were two kind of different things I wouldn't have expected. Um, there was a couple exercises like that we did on the floor, like if you, you know, you get on your hands and knees and lift your diagonal pairs, that like, so your, you know, your, your left arm and your right leg are stretched out, and then you have to have a flat back and then alternate. That was a really good one that helped me get that feeling of, of what the positive tension felt like. And, um, and then I, I picked up, I'd done yoga and, and Tai Chi and things like that before, but then I, I picked up and started um, with doing Pilates also when I was in Germany, and I still continue that today. And that's n- another thing. Those exercises really teach you that. So um, so there's really a lot of different things the rider can do to develop that feeling. And, it, and it's something that I do believe you need to, to do off the horse in, in order to learn it, uh, to just spend the time to build your strength and your suppleness off the horse. I, I think that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. And we have so many trainers that come on the show and talk about that. I think that's a really, a really big thing. And, and you can make time, you can make time every day or a little bit every day or every other day. The other thing I think about, you know, when I'm, when I, when I'm riding and, and when I'm, when I finish with a horse, I really think like, you know, how much was I doing up there? And I think uh, to add to the idea of positive tension, when I have the right amount of tension, when I finish a ride, I, you know, I can be tired, but not sore. I think whenever I, you know, get off a horse and I'm feeling sore in a shoulder or in a hip or, or something like that, then I think, okay, I was doing too much. I was over-exercising that, you know, I was using my arm too much or my, you know, I, I like a feeling to get off that, you know, I've, I've used my muscles, but I haven't created so much stress and tension that now, now my arm hurts or whatever. And I think that follows through right to the horse because I know that if my if my arm is sore for instance or my back is a little bit too sore then probably the horse doesn't feel too good about the ride either so I'm you know you're always trying to evaluate you know whether you were doing too much or too little what do you, what do you think about that exactly I agree I mean that's a, that's a great way to to evaluate what you've done uh, and and you know and on the flip side of that it's really interesting and this is where the positive tension comes in but you have to do do you know, have you, everyone's heard the term, you know, less is more, and it's true, and you have to have positive tension for less is more <laughs> more to work. So, um, and I'll just give you a quick example. It's, you know, it's a little embarrassing, but it's kind of interesting. I remember in Germany working with Nicole, working on Piaf and Passage, and she's like, oh, more back, more seat. And I'm like, Nicole, I'm doing everything I can. I'm using all the power I have. I'm so exhausted. I, I don't know how to do it anymore. And she said, well, look at your video. So I went home, <laughs> look at the video, and I was like, 
darn, it looks like I'm doing nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that visual, like, you know, using the imagery, that just really helped me to see. And I don't know how it made it click for me, like how to, you know, engage my body in the right way. And then when I did it in the right way, it, it was effortless. So it's, it's really true that, you know, it's got to come you know, from, from a feeling inside, it's not like the physical strength. And that's, that's hard to feel. And it's hard to teach people how to feel that. Um, but, um, I did have one image that, that I had used, I, that I use and, and actually the dressage today put it in their solutions page, uh, several years ago, but, um, I used the image of standing on a rocking boat and you need positive tension on to stand and keep your balance on a rocking boat. So you can just imagine, you know, standing there and letting the boat sway under you. Your joints have to move, and you really have to have that balance. And, you know, if you're too loose, you know, you're not going to be able to stay, keep yourself up. And, and also if you're too tight and rigid or, you're, you know, your joints and your knees are totally straight and locked, you're also going to topple over. So um, that's an image that, that people seem to have found helpful. Yeah, very, well, that's very, great. Very yeah, that's one. a yeah. that's a good image. So, Barbara, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can our listeners find you online? Oh wow! Yes, I have a website. It's it's pretty easy. It's www.barbarastrawson.com. So it's my name, and uh, it's spelled B-A-R-B-A-R-A Strawson S T R A W S O N dot com. So I welcome anyone to come check me out on my website. Do you have a company in the horse world? Are you looking to get the word out about your products, services, or shows? At the Horse Radio Network, we understand our advertisers need to reach the equestrian consumer in the most efficient, cost-effective way possible. Internet radio shows like this one, also called podcasts, allow the flexibility and creativity to craft unique messages that stand out from the herd and reinforce your existing marketing and social media strategies. If you want to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows on the Horse Radio Network, contact us at Glenn with two N's at horseradionetwork.com or you can call us at 859-951-2022. Our listeners are terrific, engaged, and avid horse people, the ones that you are looking for. Well, guys, before we wrap the show up today, I wanted to t- remind everybody that uh, on the Horses in the Morning, the morning show, we have the Wheel of Trivia we do on Wednesdays, where you can call in. It's a live show we do every morning, and you can give us a call at 9.05 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesdays uh, to our call-in number at 347-637-3238. Answer a trivia question, we spin the wheel, and you win a prize. Last week, we gave away, uh, let me think, Carrots Breeches worth $120. Uh, was one of the prizes last week. This week we have on the wheel. We just added a couple of Troxel helmets, so there's oh, nice. al- there's almost five. Can we play? Uh, Can we well, play? Yeah, we but you're going to get the hard questions. <laughs> oh, and we are not good at trivia. <laughs> no, everybody we didn't do remembers. Well at trivia. <laughs> yeah, we were now, terrible. At trivia. You could get your husband to call in and play, Reese. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. How, and somebody's fiancé could call in and yeah. play. Somebody's, somebody's fiancé could call in to play. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we My got husband. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if you would want to hear his trivia. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I think at 9.05 in the morning, she's in surgery. So I think that would be difficult. That'd be tough. Hey, hold on. I got to call and play a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold on. Hold on. Mine would helmet. just say, mine would give his public service announcement, which is, ladies and gentlemen, if you're into horses, please just burn your money. That That's would right. be a it's burn your money. Oh, that sounds yeah. fun. I would give him the win just for that. I would. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so anyway, um, you can do that on horsesinthemorning.com on Wednesday mornings. Plus, we started something new on that show, too. Uh, we, we did live shows Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and now we're adding Tuesday back to the mix. And I'm playing DJ. We're doing an all-music show where we highlight equestrian entertainers and musicians. And that uh, they're independent musicians and who all have something to do with horses, and we play their music uh, for for the hour of the show, and it's been a lot of fun. I've been playing DJ, uh, having cool. to learn how to do that, you know. So that's been kind of fun. People have been enjoying that for a change. Uh, so uh, you can tune into that on Tuesdays at Horses in the Morning. It's lots called going on lots going on in the mornings. I yeah, guess. we're calling it Tune Tuesday. I like it. Oh, that's cool. <clears throat> yep. So that's all what's happening. If you want to, we could play a song out today to give everybody a little tease. Ooh, yes, oh, definitely. Maybe. I That'd think that's fun. How about we do, a, like we do one of Templeton Thompson's uh, songs? We'll do that out today. Sounds good. Okay, cool. Sounds like a plan. Well, everybody, well, you guys are off next week. Enjoy your week off. Thank yes, you. we will enjoy, and I hope everyone enjoys the uh, the para dressage uh, new show that's going to be on. And you can find our show notes and links to today's guest at uh, the website dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com and my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. Like our, thank our sponsors, Thin Line Global. And don't forget to check out all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and Philip and I will be back in two weeks. I'm wishing.